0: Welcome to the Fire Inside Her podcast, a safe space for leadership, self-care, and community. I'm your host, Diane Schroeder, and it is my privilege to be your guide on the journey to authenticity. Being the first is never easy. There's a lot that goes with being the first, whether it's the firstborn trailblazer in any type of profession, being the first you come up against challenges that hopefully the people who follow you don't have to face. I remember when I first started my fire service career, I really wanted to be the first at something, the first chief, the first whatever it was. And I was hired in such a large organization that I didn't think that was going to be possible to be the first of anything. And (laughs) I ended up being the first female to have a baby in our organization. We had had women in the organization for over 20 years by the time I was with child, and I ended up being the first. So that was a great opportunity to test a wonderful maternity policy that the organization had at the time, and really my goal along with having a healthy child and a safe pregnancy was to set the path so that the women who followed after were able to have a positive experience getting pregnant and having a child. Because if you choose to be in a profession that is male-dominated, it shouldn't go against you if you want to start a family. Now, unfortunately, Shortly after I left that organization, the policy changed. And to be quite honest, I'm not sure what that policy is now. And I really struggled to get a good maternity policy at the next organization I went to. And it was really frustrating for me. And I do feel like that's something that I was unable to finish. And what's even more sad is there are so many organizations that... Do not support maternity policies, especially in the fire service, but we will spend time on that down the road in another episode, I'm sure. Today's episode is about a different kind of first. 1976 is an amazing year, and it's not just because that's the year I was born, it's also the year that my guest became one of the first women hired on a US Forest Service fire crew. She faced her fair share of challenges and adversity, and the beauty of looking retrospectively is during our conversation, I could easily see the thread of resiliency and perseverance, and she has been up against challenges throughout her life. She figures out a way and moves forward. Originally from Syracuse, New York, Ms. Strader moved to Prescott, Arizona with her family in 1972. In 1976, she became one of the first women hired on a U.S. Forest Service fire crew in Santa Rita Mountains of South Tucson, Arizona. Summers of Fire, a memoir of adventure, love, and courage, was released on May 1, 2018, by Bedazzled Inc. Publishing. In September, she became a finalist in the New Mexico Arizona Book Awards. Her second book, Uprooted, is the prequel to Summers of Fire, and it was released December 1, 2021. In addition to writing, Ms. Strader is a landscape architect, certified arborist, and watercolor artist, She resides in the same area where her fire service career began. This episode is a great reminder that the journey to authenticity is bumpy and it does have potholes. However, if you stay true to yourself and stay on the journey, it will lead you to some of the most beautiful places you could ever imagine.
1: Hi, Linda. How are you? Hi, I'm good, Diane. It's nice
0: to meet you. Nice to meet you too. I am so excited that we get to chat today. You didn't know this prior to us chatting just when we first met, but I come from the fire service as well. And when I saw that you popped into my inbox, I was really giddy because you are an OG, badass, wildland firefighter. And I'm so excited that we get to chat today. So thank you.
1: Oh, well, thank you. I think it's pretty amazing what you do, that's for sure. <laughs>
0: um, I like to start with random questions. So the random question that I have for
1: you is, do you sleep with your bedroom door open or closed? Actually, it depends on the time of year. In the winter, I don't heat the bedroom, so I leave the door closed. And in the summer, just so the air conditioner works more efficiently, I leave the door open. So it just depends on the time of year.
0: That makes sense. Arizona can
1: get really hot. Yeah, we're heading to 111 this weekend. So yeah, it's hot here. Yes, but it's a dry heat. It's a dry heat. It is. And you just don't go outside when it's that hot. Just stay indoors. Exactly.
0: Well, I would like to hear a little bit about your story and your journey on how you ended up becoming one of the first female pioneers for the U.S. Fire Service in the wildland world. If you don't mind sharing a little bit about your story, I would really appreciate it.
1: I'll go back to 72 when I was living in Syracuse, New York with my family. And my parents decided that they'd had enough of Syracuse weather and they wanted us to move to Prescott, Arizona. And it was a really tough time for me because I was in the middle of my senior year of high school. And I didn't want to go, but I had no choice. They said, you're going with us. We're going. So they moved me to a town of about 12,000 people. Very small place compared to Syracuse. Nobody was looking for making new friends. Everybody been in school with their classmates probably since kindergarten. So I was very anxious to leave Prescott and go back to Syracuse. uh, And I did sell right after graduation. And I got there and discovered that everybody was going to college and they were leaving. And I thought, well, it's not the place that I missed. It was the people. And I just couldn't see any point in staying. So I went back to Prescott and learned to love it. I mean, Prescott, Arizona is in the middle of the Prescott National Forest. I love the outdoors. I've made friends, you know, hiking and camping. And I really wanted to stay And so I started looking for work and I'm discovering that for an 18, 19 year old, just with a high school education, there really wasn't much in the way of work for a young woman. And it was a choice of retail sales, secretary, waitress. And I tried all those things and I absolutely hated it and thought this is not what I want to do. But I was beginning to realize after a year and a half of looking for work and taking on, you know, whatever I could, realizing this is not what I wanted to do with my life. So I ended up looking for work in Tucson, Arizona. And Tucson, I met somebody, a friend of the family. She introduced me to the U.S. Forest Service and I had no idea that this world existed. I mean, I saw the Forest Service up in Prescott, but I just never dreamed it would be something that I could apply for. So she told me that looking for timekeepers up on Mount Lemmon. Let me get you an interview. She got me the interview the same day. I got the job the next day. And so now I am a timekeeper for the Catalina Hotshots. And I got to live up in the mountains. I mean, there's a beautiful mountain range north of Tucson. And I was living and working up there. That was all great. But it didn't take me long to realize how much I hated paperwork. <laughs> and there was a lot of it. Time sheets were... 11 by 17, year huge document and there was five carbon copies and you had to press through all five carbon copies. It was terrible. So I did that for a summer and a half and thought, no, I don't want to do this anymore. And there were so many Forest Service jobs that were far more interesting than the one I had, including the firefighting aspect. And I decided I wanted to work on a fire crew and and I applied for the job. And in 1976, I was hired by the U.S. Forest Service in Southern Arizona, not in the same place where I was a timekeeper, but close by. And I never gave it a second thought that I couldn't do the work. I figured I was 20. I'm gung-ho. I want this job. I finally have a real job. To me, it was like, I've got a real job now. And it didn't dawn on me that, you know, when I got there, that there was nothing but men on the crew. And I never really thought about that, that was a problem and until of course as the summer went on and there was a few of the guys who didn't take any time at all to let me know i wasn't welcome there they told me that women belonged barefoot pregnant in the kitchen one guy told me that i should quit and go home and they really gave me a hard time about you know what if i get hurt can you carry me out and i'm looking at him and saying, oh yeah. yeah there's a 300 pound overweight guy and it's like nobody can carry you out john so I didn't okay defending myself against my crewmates, but when I was told to my face, it was a few years down the road, when I was told to my face that I'm not hiring you because you're a woman, that I realized this is getting a little serious and this is the job that I want. This is the career that I want. And now I'm being told that they won't hire me because I'm a woman. So I thought about it and decided, you know what, I'm going to file an EEO complaint because this man discriminated against me. And it never occurred to me that that might be a problem of reporting somebody, you know, naive, 23 year old. So I reported him. And of course he denied ever saying such a thing. The complaint went nowhere. It was at my word against his. And a couple of years down the road, I find myself blacklisted. And I'm labeled a troublemaker because I filed that complaint. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, that was confidential. So much for confidentiality, you know, it got out. And as I switched from the U.S. Forest Service and started working for the Bureau of Land Management, and that's how I ended up in Alaska, which was quite an adventure in itself. Fantastic time in Alaska. It was a crazy, crazy place, crazy people, a lot of fun memories. It was really something. And I... Was so glad that I got the opportunity to go up there when I did. I don't think I could handle the weather up there now. So you were with the Forest Service for how many years? Out of the seven years that I've worked in that field, I was with them for five. And I spent two summers with the Bureau of Land Management, once in Durango, Colorado, and once in Kenai, Alaska.
0: I'm not sure about Alaska, but I know Durango is one of my favorite places in the world. It's a
1: beautiful place. Yeah,
0: it is gorgeous. So after seven years, we're still
1: in the 80s at this point. Yes, where it's 82 was my last summer. What happened next? Well, so after an injury, I had to resign and I had a lot of Surgery, and I had to completely rebuild my life, which was not an easy thing to do. And so, after two years of recovery, I finally decided. You know, my doctor told me, "You're never going to be a firefighter again." I ended up studying landscape architecture at the University of Arizona. Graduated in 1990. Returned for a master's degree in land planning in 1992. Graduating in 94. So. I ended up in the world of land development, which was really not what I wanted to do with my life, but it paid well. I had since married the man that I went to my first fire with, and we were married for 23 years and it wasn't working. So I left and after I get a divorce, I buy a house. I've got a good job. I lost that job in 2008 when the economy collapsed. could not find another one. And that's when I started thinking I had a lot of time on my hands and I thought, wow, you know, I was reflecting back to my fire career and I was thinking, you know, I should probably write some of the stuff down before I forget it. I did keep very detailed journals. I started doing that when I was a teen. But at first I didn't refer to them. I just did it from memory. I wrote down some of my adventures and some of my experiences and came up with 90 pages. And my friends said, you know, this is pretty good. You should write some more. I mean, because obviously 90 pages is not a short story and it's not a book either. And so I decided I should add some more. So I got out my journals and started jogging my memory. And the more I wrote, the more I remembered. And next thing i know i have 400 pages which is too long so i had what looked like a book and i didn't know how to write a book so i didn't even know if it was any good so i joined a writers group in my community and next thing i know i'm querying for a literary agent looking for a publisher and it took me a while it took a long time to perfect my story and a long time to find someone to publish my book but i did wow i hear so many themes
0: of your story of resiliency and determination and grit of not letting the world tell you what you can and can't do including a bunch of men who may or may not have their own ego and their own issues. When I hear you speak of some of your experiences, I'm brought back to 2000 when I got hired in the fire service and I had similar but different experiences. I felt like I was carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders, that I was representing every woman in the fire service. And, you know, I remember I was told by my first battalion chief and he was a nice guy. He was really nice to me. But when it came to rotating probation in the structure world, you spend so many months on a ladder truck, so many months on an engine, and they move you around accordingly. And he told me, he goes, Normally I would send you to engine one, but I've already got two women on that engine, and I'm not going to stack it with a third. And I was like, I don't think that's legal, but I'm not really sure. You're the staffing guy, and I didn't know any better. And That was the first, and I had other experiences, but I was just like, oh, this is how it's going to be. And I had no idea either because it's not something I anticipated when I entered the fire service. So what did your parents say? I'm curious to know, what did your parents think about your adventures into
1: wildland firefighting? So my mom, who I was very close to, when she found out that I was going to do it for the second summer, I think the first summer she thought, She'll get over this and it'll be too hard and she won't do it. And when she found out that I applied for the second, for 1977, she said, well, you know, I'm going to worry about you, but I want you to do, you know, makes you happy. My dad blew up at me and told me that's a man's job. And what the heck are you doing? And I still applied for it and still did it anyway, but he did not approve. In fact, one of my sisters didn't approve. She didn't think it was a real job. Her whole attitude about it was, you know, it's not a real world job and you don't belong there anyway. And it wasn't just the men on my crew. It wasn't just the supervisors who blacklisted me, my own family, you know, and I had friends that thought I was absolutely insane. You know, why are you doing this? Because I like it, you know, I absolutely love my job. So. Well,
0: and the other theme that I hear is your authenticity. I mean, it sounds to me that You have always remained true to who you are and have done what you wanted to do. And that seems easy to say and their words come out, but I can't imagine that it's always been an easy path
1: to be your authentic self and stand up for yourself and advocate for yourself. You're right. And I certainly never thought I was going to take that job and have to stand up for myself. That's just not who I am. I mean, I will do it if I'm forced to, but I was just there thinking, oh, this will be a great job. And all of a sudden I'm fighting for it, you know, and I'm having to put my foot down. No, I will not tolerate you talking to me like that. Or I would just walk away and say, oh, you're such a jerk, you know, and my second summer there changed me a lot from my first summer where I was extremely naive because I didn't find out how much the men resented me until the end of the summer when they let me have it. And I went to a federal women's program workshop and I didn't know that women were allowed in the forest service at that time. That women's program was to help women learn how to survive in the forest service because they were not welcome. And so one of the assignments after the week program of assertiveness training and all the heck is assertiveness training, you know, (laughs) so it's like they'll stomp all over you, you know, we learned about the EEO rights and all that stuff. So at the end of the meeting, the woman that was running the seminar says to us, I want you to go back to your respective workplaces and talk to the men on your crew and find out from them exactly how they feel about you being on the crew. And I'm thinking, oh, this will be easy. Everybody likes me. And, you know, other than the few that give me a hard time, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. I'm going to go back and everybody's going to say, oh, yeah, we think you're doing a great job. That's not what I heard.
0: Oh, man, that's a loaded question. That's like you never ask a question you don't really want to
1: hear the answer to. (laughs) Silly me thinking, oh, I can do this, you know. And You know, there were four people, four men, that my supervisor, the guy that I went to my first fire on, who I ended up marrying, and two others were actually on my side and thought, oh, you're doing a great job. And one of them had the most unique perspective. He said, I don't understand what the big deal is. I love having women on my crew because they're always working twice as hard to prove that they can do the job at all. And men are working twice as hard because they are trying to impress her, so more work gets done. So what's the problem? <laughs> and I thought that was great. The ones that I thought had accepted me just let me have it and said, you don't belong here. You should go home. Wow, that's really hard. I know it fueled you to come back
0: to say, like, can't take me down. Yeah, I want this job. So, And I love that. How did it shape you? Did it inspire you to try to get
1: more women to come into the fire service? No, it didn't. It just taught me, don't let your guard down is actually what it taught me. Because I spent that whole summer thinking everything was okay, with the exception of a couple of men who were really vocal. And and I just laughed them off. I mean, they were such jerks. I tell them that. Oh, you're such a jerk. So I expected it from them, but it was the ones who didn't say anything to me to the very end that blew me away. And I thought, how did I not see this coming? So the second summer, I was really changed. Now I'm like, you know, so you say that you like to work with me. Do you really mean that? Or you got to come back later and stab me in the back? And it did change me. It changed me forever. But then eventually I relaxed into and realized you can do this. You've been doing it. But it was hard to hear and I lost my nativity. And I've had a few of the guys I worked with the summer before tell me, you've changed. And I said, well, yeah, you know, that was pretty painful to have someone say to your face, you don't belong here. I mean, you're
0: still young. Like I think of back to 20, 21 year old me and even 23, like there's a lot of feedback that I got back then that I really like hard to hear because I didn't understand myself enough to realize that that issue was a them issue, not a me issue. How long did it take you to figure that out, that all that hate and negativity was their problem and not yours?
1: It took me a couple summers, and and then I thought I had it under control, but it was 78 when I was told by a supervisor that he wouldn't hire me. So that changed everything, because before I was just dealing with the guys in my group. And like I said, after a while, I just totally to go away and you know, just leave you alone. And I'm doing my job and you've never carried the load for me. I've always carried my own load and I've always done my own job. I don't need you. So that also changed my perspective. And when I was blacklisted, that's when I thought, the hell with the Forest Service. It's time to change, you know, and BLM was not perfect. It wasn't the solution, to be honest, the Bureau of Land Management doesn't have a whole heck of a lot of forest other than in Alaska. When I worked in Durango, I actually ended up on a timber crew, and I did go to a couple fires, but if it's on forest, most of the forests they manage are very small, and they're mostly surrounded by private land, so I liked working in the forest, and that's what I wanted, so I ended up back with the Forest Service in 82, and by then, there was one other woman that was my first hotshot crew, with 72, because the other crews I was on, they were just considered fire suppression crews. There's no difference between the two. A Hotshot crews, there's 20 of them, and they travel to wherever fires are all over the country. A fire suppression crew is typically working on a particular district. And we did still travel. We still did go to fires if we were needed. But we weren't considered the go-to. If a big fire breaks out, hotshot crews from all over the country, get on a plane and go to it. So... That's the only difference, you do the same work. But to lose my job because of an injury, I mean, that damaged my self-esteem seriously for quite a while. That was a hard one. I'm sure how did you learn? Cause you're still young at
0: this point. How did you learn to take care of yourself and kind of recover from that experience of having to leave a career that you fought really hard for to stay in through all the adversity and now you're injured and you can't go back. So how did you take care of yourself to stay true to who you are so that you could continue
1: on? Well, you know, I went through a real rough patch and I spent a lot of time in therapy because I just didn't know what I was going to do. What I wanted to do was taken away. My husband still worked for the Forest Service, so I watched him go to fires and I couldn't go. And I'll never forget the counselor who said to me, well, you know, you could go to college and get a new career. And I said, yeah, but I'll be 34 by the time I graduate and he says, well, you're going to be 34 in four years, whether you go to school or not. Oh, okay. He's right. And once I started college, I dove into that. It was my life. College was my life. Straight A student. I really put 100% into it and I, and I liked my new career. It was always for years, very hard to see fires and I can't go. And my husband was going off to fires, and I couldn't go. But my new career, it's not the same thing. But of course, I'm proud of my new career. And I teach classes in my community. Now I have my own business. And the book never would have been written (laughs) had not all those bad things happened. If I hadn't gotten laid off on all those things, my book never would have been written. I love that. And it's a great
0: segue because I believe that sometimes the universe gives us a whisper. Sometimes, you know, it taps us on the shoulders and sometimes it just knocks us upside the head to lead us to a different path that we may not have seen had we done different things. And I think sometimes it's the adversity that pushes us into uncomfortable places. I went back to school in my thirties and finished my degree as well. And then just got
1: my master's degree a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's awesome, you know? And it's so hard, I, I don't know about you, but I was walking around around all these teens and everything and all they're talking about is, you know, boyfriends and, and everything. And I'm just focused on school and they hated me because I ruined the curve because I got straight A's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. I did all mine in, online, so I didn't have to interact with people, which was great. Yeah, I didn't have that choice. What I loved about going back to school as an adult was how much I enjoyed it and absorbed it and was like, I really felt like I was learning. I would not have done that well right out of high school and college. I went and got my associate's degree, but I think that, you know, even though everyone's path is a little bit different and it wasn't how you expected it, look where you are now. And how has your community played into that? Like community in the fire service is a very unique community. And I'm sure that you had great times and experiences because you kept going back for a while. There was a draw there that had to be stronger than proving everyone wrong. I would assume that you loved it. So there's that community and then finding a different community as you transitioned out of wildland into a different career. And then now as an author, how has community played a role in your life?
1: Yeah, I mean, everything has changed and you know, I'm the only landscape architect in my community. I also teach classes and I run into people at the grocery store and they say, oh, I took her class five years ago. It was great. You know, people look up to me. And I appreciate that, but sometimes it's like, I feel like Don was making too big of a deal out of it because I'm just me, you know, and I'm doing the best I can. And I have a passion for desert plants. I have a passion for teaching people in my community how to take care of those plants. And so I found a new way to apply the passion that I have to things. And I certainly feel very strongly about what I teach. And people tell me, you know, it shows in your classes. For the longest time, it took me a while to not miss going to the office and having connections with your coworkers, and they don't have that anymore. And you know, if you've got a pain in the neck client, you got people you could share it with, you know. And so I don't have that, so it it's been hard to get used to that. I mean, I've been doing it for twelve years now, so I'm used to it now. But at first. I really missed my coworkers even though I didn't like them all you know I still missed it. you just have to learn how to adapt and change and it's been okay it was a challenge i'm sure
0: so what advice would you give to i guess the transitions in life the challenges the being flexible and adaptable to whatever life may throw you some people it's easier to adapt than others so what would you tell people about the journey
1: like what advice would you give so I have to go through these stages of no I'm not going to change no 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 and then I realize, okay you know so you're going to have to. and then I start to realize once I've accepted the change I mean not like okay darn it I'm going to have to do it this way it's like okay it's not this is what's going to happen And then I look for a way to make that change that works the best for me. In other words, I make the changes with my best interests in mind. Couldn't find work. I could have sold the home I just bought, moved to Tucson, worked in a factory. I don't know. I could have. I decided, no, I don't want to do that. So how can I stay in my home? still make a living and I didn't share that with anybody it was an internal conversation how can I do that and then I thought well you know they say if you can't practice what you know maybe you can teach what you know so I reached out to an organization here that holds classes for the seniors in my community pitched a class to them they said yes I started teaching learned that I love to teach And then from that class, people started asking me, will you do landscape design? I said, of course I do. And next thing I know, I have a business. I survived because I decided if I'm going to do this, it's going to be my way. And so if I'm not going to sell my home and move to Tucson and do something I don't want to do, then I'm going to have to figure out a way to get by. And I paid off my house. I survived it. It was tough. And it took me a while to get used to it, but I did it on my terms. It had to be on my terms because otherwise it felt like I was giving up if I didn't do it.
0: Wow, that gives me goosebumps. So thank you for sharing that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing, and I've heard this, a friend of mine said this before, if you bet on yourself, you can't go wrong and you believed in yourself and you put in yourself and i think you took care of yourself you put yourself first and that's really hard for most people to do i think it's even really more challenging for women to do because of all our conditioning and baggage that we bring along but through your experiences and you know your grit and you've done the work on yourself to figure out that you can figure
1: it out you bet on yourself. And now look at you how happy you are. And I think a lot of people focus too much on, well, I can't do that anymore. But what can you do that's on your terms? When I started feeling like I'm being forced, if someone told me, you have to sell your home and you have to go work in Tucson, I would have put the brakes on and it would have been terrible if I had said, yeah, you're right. I'm going to just tear up my life and give up my house, and and I would have regretted it forever, you know, because it had to be on my terms. I had to figure out what am I going to do on the terms that I can live with, and who knew? I didn't know I liked to teach, and the people love my classes, so I have 19 people in my June class, which is very big for summer. It's pretty quiet here in the summer because most people leave for the summer, so and it's all word of mouth, you know. They so say, "Oh, my friend took your class." My neighbor took your class. I was hiking one day, and someone looked at me and said, "I took your class." Out of context, too, you know, because you think about it. Sometimes you see people that you know, you know them, but you don't know from where, you know. Because if you're used to seeing them in fire clothes, and then you see them at the grocery store, yeah, who are you? Oh, I know you. Oh, that's right, you know. So, so yeah, the fact that these people recognize me just floors me. <laughs> like, awesome. Well. Linda, thank you
0: so much for sharing your story. It's been a wonderful conversation. I I have so much respect for, again, you being a trailblazer and just continuing to be a trailblazer and doing life on your terms and remaining authentic to who you are. That's not easy to do. And so thank you. And thank you for being a role model for the rest of us trying to figure it out. I will ask you one final question. If you could go back to 1972 before you had to be uprooted and leave in the middle of your senior year, is there any advice that you would give yourself, your 1972 year old self?
1: You know, I've been asked that question before and I always thought it was really interesting because actually it's reverse for me. When I was having a really tough time, I looked back at the me back then and realized I'm still her because I was struggling with who am I? I can't be a firefighter anymore. I can't do this work anymore. And so who am I without all those things? I needed the me from 1972 to remind me, you wouldn't take just any job back then. And that's how you ended up working for the Forest Service to begin with, because you refused to be a secretary. You refused to work in retail sales. You refused to be a waitress. That's the one she tells me that might be
0: the best answer I've ever heard from that. So thank you. Thank you so very much. And I will link your links to your book and how people can find you if they have any questions. And I might look you up if I have any questions. We don't have desert planning up here, but I'm sure you understand house plants. So I might ask you a couple. Things. Yeah, okay. Sure. Nice to meet you, Diane. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to listen to this episode. Curious on what to do next? Go ahead and follow wherever you're listening to this podcast so you can get updates each week when new episodes are released. And head on over to the slash audio for a free audio to help you get started on your self-care journey. Until next time, remember, you are a badass and you
1: are not alone.